0: And now, presenting
1: the Star of the Show podcast
0: with your host,
1: Delaney Swift. Hello, and welcome back to the show. Today, we have a very special guest, Coot Blackson. Coot is an inspirational speaker, a transformational teacher, and a best-selling author of You Are the One and The Magic of Surrender. Coot was born in Ghana and raised in London. He is the child of a Ghanaian father and a Japanese mother, and his father was a revered spiritual leader, and Coot was speaking to his father's congregations in more than 300 churches by the age of eight crazy at the age of 14 he was ordained into his father's ministry and was set to carry on the family's spiritual legacy but he had a calling to come to los angeles to pursue his dreams so he moved to la when he was just 18 years old and he is now a coach a transformational teacher and and extremely sought out by companies and organizations to share his story and honestly just inspire greatness inspire people He has a podcast, two books you can purchase, and a retreat called Boundless Bliss, The Bali Breakthrough Experience, which you will hear him talk more about at the end of this episode if you're interested. In this episode, we talk about Coot's tremendous story of coming to the U.S., going after his dreams with extreme conviction, leaning into surrender, whatever that means for you, and how you can practice it in your own life. We also discuss the ego and how to befriend it rather than looking at it as the enemy, We discuss how to lean into your purpose no matter where you're at in your life or your life's journey. I think that there is so much to learn from this episode. I hope you all enjoy it. I know that everyone will be able to get something out of this episode no matter where you're at in your life and what you want to get out of it. So without further ado, welcome Coot to the Star of the Show podcast. Welcome to the show. It is so nice to have you.
2: Thanks for having me. It's good to be here.
1: <laughs> so you are an inspirational speaker, a best-selling author. You are a transformational teacher, but uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I want to go back in time a bit because, you know, I've read up on your background and you have quite the background, quite the childhood. And it seems that you have faced a lot of adversity at quite a young age and had, Probably not what you know the typical uh, childhood would be like. So explain what it was like for you as a child, growing up in a multicultural family, yep. having lived in multiple countries, and how that's had an impact on who you are today.
2: Yeah, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London. I lived in the US since 18, so kind of everywhere and nowhere. And I think that also had an impact on me because I never felt like I fit in to a specific culture. I didn't feel like, well, I'm African
0: mm-hmm. or
2: black. I didn't feel like I was Japanese. I didn't feel like I was British. So, what the hell am I? You know, and that right. began. Uh, so, I felt very like an outsider a lot, and that that created as a child a bit of internal turmoil, and that started me down the road of really questioning uh, who am I and where do I belong and. What, what is my nature, you know? And that, that began a very, a deep sense of seeking from a very young age. And so, yeah, my childhood was a bit unusual, but I didn't know it was unusual. I right. thought it was like everybody else's in that, um, like my first memories as a young boy was seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor and I was lost in the crowd and she picks up the gravel, the sand that this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. Uh, you could call it a miracle. Uh, like week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear, and uh, the same man whose gravel she picked up would look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, "Why are you in this wheelchair? Stand up, you're not sick." And he would put his hand on hands on them, and they would be healed. Or somebody would come in with crutches, and he would say, "Why do you have these crutches? Throw them away. Do you believe? Yeah. Well, why? If you believe, why are you walking with crutches?" And he would put his hand on hands on them, and they would be healed. And so. I grew up with the sense of the miraculous, and people often ask, "Like, come on, coot, were you like deluded? Were you? Was was it a scam? You know, just so happened that the man was my father, and week after week, day after day, I, I grew up seeing a lot of these things just right in front of me. And so, in that sense, I didn't think anything extraordinary about it. I didn't think anything unusual about it. You know. Um, And that was a blessing because I grew up with the sense of possibility that anything was possible. And so my father built 300 churches in Ghana, a huge church in London, hundreds of thousands of followers in Ghana. So when I was age eight, I began speaking in my father's churches. And that began my speaking career. And when I was 14, I was ordained as a minister. Mm -hmm. And I was given the mandate to take over my father's ministry. And uh, in a strange way, it didn't feel right because I just... Didn't feel that that path was my calling, but I was I was a I was too afraid to speak my truth. My fear mm-hmm. was if I dared, if I dared to speak my truth, then I'm going to lose my father. I'm going to be outcast. And I think, like many of us, I allowed fear to hijack me, and 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 uh, I kind of went along with the plan. Uh, for four years, I tried to fit myself into a box of becoming who I thought the world wanted me to be in order to be loved and validated and, and approved and became miserable in the process. And, yeah. and and when I turned 18, 17, actually, and a half, I, I felt such an undeniable call, I had some choices to make. Do I go mm-hmm. to university? What am I going to do with my life? And I chose not to go to university. I looked into my future and I saw that I could follow the expected path that was laid out for me by my father and by everybody, but, and be successful. But if I don't have myself, if I don't have my own integrity, well, what the hell do I have, you know? Right. And and so I also felt this deep calling to come to America, to come to Southern California, to come to mm-hmm. Los Angeles. And my calling was go to LA, and I wanted to go into this field of personal growth. And, mm-hmm. and all of the authors that I read about, because I was sneaking into my father's office and steal books from his bookshelf. And many of the authors were like Wayne Dyer and, Hay and mm-hmm. uh, Deepak, Louise Hay and Deepak Chopra, Marianne yep. Williamson, mm-hmm. and I mean, on and on and on. And uh, they lived in LA. They lived in San Diego. I'm like, This is the place. And so my soul guided me and it was an undeniable calling. And I think what your soul, you know, sometimes when your soul guides you, it doesn't make sense sometimes. And when your soul guides you, it's not always convenient or comfortable. But what I have found in my life is when you follow your soul, you will always end up in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing. And so I made a decision. I was terrified, scared as hell. But I made a decision to leave everything behind, basically renounce everything, leave my father's ministry, and follow follow my path into the unknown. Terrifying, but yeah. uh, had that conversation with my dad. Uh, we didn't speak for two years. Mm-hmm. I came to America, ended up winning a green card in the green card lottery that brought me to America. And mm-hmm. as an 18-year-old kid, showed up with two suitcases, $800 in my pocket, and just mm-hmm. just started following a dream, you know. And, and went yeah. and found many of the teachers, found many of the, the, the authors I'd read about, studied with some of them, learned from some of them, and then ended up a few years later traveling, uh, reached a pivotal moment. We can get into that if you want, but reached a pivotal moment where things didn't go according to plan and right. shit fell apart in life and yeah. i decided you know i'm going to travel and i ended up walking the camino in northern spain going to israel and then going mm-hmm. to uh india for about four mm-hmm. months and it was my time there that really cracked me open to another dimension of purpose and myself and why i'm here and understanding and so from there i came back and i came back to the, to america and began you know, 20 years ago coaching people working with people and uh one person came, another person came, another person came, and it just grew and evolved from there. And here we are. So that's a bit of the journey.
1: Yes. I mean, it's quite a journey. And I think even though a lot of people probably can't, you know, say that they've done or had your exact experiences, but I think a lot of people can relate to feeling a calling and not really knowing why, and it doesn't really make sense to them, but knowing like that's what they want to do next. And that probably shows up in lots of different ways, but um, I heard you say on another podcast that, you know, you, you, you mentioned that you went to LA when you were 18 uh-huh. and I heard that you had, you know, like $3 in your bank account at one point, you said you were homeless at one point, sleeping yeah, on friends' yeah, couches. Yeah. So how do you maintain your yeah. conviction or your why, or that purpose when you have all of these challenges that you're facing? Cause I think that's where it really starts to create fr- friction for people. And that's when a lot of people give up. So how did you do that?
2: You know, I felt like I didn't have a choice, to be honest, and I can just speak for myself, I felt like I didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. And, and also, I knew I couldn't go back uh, for right. me, uh, because yeah. I, I burnt the bridges, you know, with yeah. my father's like, I, I mean, I can't really go back after that. And, and, and so um, I didn't leave the door open. And I didn't have one foot in and one foot out. So for me, it was a total commitment to the calling I felt. And many times I think sometimes we don't say the full yes to the calling that we feel.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We have one foot in and one foot out. And let's see how it goes. And for me, I just dove right into the deep end and it was sink or swim, which you know is not for everybody. But I, I guarantee you, when you have to figure some shit out
0: mm-hmm. and you
2: have to figure it out, you tend to figure it out and you tend to be more motivated and you are more committed than if you weren't. And many people wait and see. Mm -hmm. But if I tell people like, if I took your child and I threw them over the other side of the fence and on the other side of the fence were tigers. Mm -hmm. And I said, the tigers are like one hour away and you need to figure out a way to get over that fence. You would figure it out.
1: Right. That's your number one priority.
2: You would, you would. And so, I just was very committed to this calling. I felt I said yes to it completely. So that was one. Yeah. And I felt the rightness of it. That was, that was like it felt right. And I said, yes, I surrendered to it completely. And, and, and it just, I felt like I didn't have a choice in that. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, I would rather die trying. And I would rather fail having known I gave everything than live my life safe never really going for it and, and, and always kind of having a future possibility. Like at least I, if, if it doesn't work, at least I know that I did everything. There's nothing else I right. could do. And, and so that was my philosophy. You know, what I would say is if somebody is listening, and I've had many dark moments in my life, especially in those beginning early days,
0: mm-hmm.
2: if you're going through a dark moment, a dark time, challenging time, where you look outside and everything looks dark. I have been there. You look outside and you can't see your head from your tails. You don't know what the hell is going on. It looks nothing but pitch black in your life. Mm -hmm. It seems like maybe there's no hope. I think that what I found is the darkness is a gift in some ways. Even in the darkness, there is a blessing. The darkness is pushing you to go deeper inside it's yes it's like because when everything is dark outside you can't distract yourself with anything and so when everything is dark outside it kind of forces you to go inside to -hmm. pray to meditate to connect to surrender more deeply to reevaluate everything and to like invite grace you know you you reach the end of your ego's capacity you have to acknowledge that you've reached the end of your ego's capacity to manifest your life. Mm -hmm. And that's the beginning of surrender. And so many times we are brought to our knees by life to be shown that we have to surrender. And -hmm. that's when the beginning, that's when grace happens. That's when blessings flow. That's when magic happens, you know. That's when we are course-corrected by life. And so it's in the darkness that I think we're forced to go inside to find yeah. out who we really are, to connect to the light of our souls, the light of our being, the, the, the energy, the essence of our souls, the power that is inside of us that we sometimes don't really have to dig into and bring out if life is easy all the time. Right. And And I would say for me, it's been in my most challenging moments. I didn't think I was going to make it. I
1: mm-hmm. wanted to
2: give up. I freaking cried all night because I'm like, mm-hmm. I can't do this anymore, that I surrendered so deeply, I let go so deeply, you know, I I, I prayed so deeply that I connected with something that was beyond beyond the physical, beyond my ego mind, that was soul, that was spiritual, that was energy, that was essence, that was life itself, you know? And I think when we do that, we tap into another dimension of life and and, and life flows and miracles happen. And so for me, that's, That's that's the moment, you know, but what I will say is, look, surrender, which we can get deeper into, but also focus on what you can control. Like, what is it? What is in your control? You know, Uh, Mm -hmm. because many times I find I have found that people don't do they have not done everything that is in their control. And they're like, you know, Mm -hmm. God help me. But you you didn't help yourself. It's yep. like help me lose weight, but you didn't go to the but gym. You don't do
1: anything. You didn't go to yeah. the gym,
2: and you're still eating seven donuts a day. And it's like, yeah.
1: well, I'll help you
2: once you like get a diet, your diet right, and do, do your exercise. Work. You do the work. And so I think if you're in a challenging moment, then bring yourself to the present, take responsibility, realize no no one's gonna do it for you, mm-hmm. and focus on what is in my control and what are the action steps i can take now and then step, mm-hmm. by step by step by step by step by step by step you can move
1: yeah yeah and i'm curious just kind of going off of that say for example someone was they were at their their lowest possible point lowest and they possible. really they really put themselves out there maybe they started a business or what? they moved to a different state or country or whatever it was and they failed and they yeah. They really got to rock bottom, and that really shot their confidence. How do you continue to practice surrender in those times? And maybe it's just exactly what you just said, but how does someone kind of get back up and keep going when they feel like they've been burned before, they have put everything into something before, and Uh it just didn't work out the way they they thought?
2: Look, you're, you're talking to someone that I gave everything to certain dreams and visions, okay? So for someone to tell me I gave everything, many times people say, I could, I gave everything. Well, what did you do? Yeah. I made three phone calls, three phone right. calls. Like, look, I had a dream and vision when I was 21 to have a talk show. I wanted to be the next Oprah. <laughs> and 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 so I came up with this whole concept. This is like just before the internet and mm-hmm. uh, you know, no social media really at this time. And I had no money. And I came up with this talk show concept, like be the next Oprah. And mm-hmm. I, I literally went, and for two years, this is where I went broke, I went and sacrificed everything to try to make this show happen. I mm-hmm. shot a pilot. I tracked down Steven Spielberg in a soccer game. I tracked down David Gifford. I, I went and found every agent in Hollywood, knocked on their doors, talked my way into the, got kicked out of offices, production offices, kicked off the Paramount lot. You, I mean, if I told you the stories, you would be like, what the? Like, I went for it. <laughs> So in terms yeah. of rejection and i'm I was laughed at I was kicked out of meetings i was i was i was had that security called on me i had you know I was spat at by producers but the level of rejection I faced was challenging
0: mm-hmm.
2: and there were many moments I wanted to give up and there were many some moments I gave up but you know when i finished crying, and I finished dusting myself off, Mm -hmm. I still felt a calling inside. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And here's the thing. I didn't manifest the talk show in the way I thought. Mm -hmm. I was offered something. We can get into that. But long story short, I didn't manifest what I thought. And what I want people to realize is sometimes your dream's not happening it's grace. Your dreams and visions and the goals that you think not manifesting is actually a blessing from the universe. Mm-hmm. If you look at some of the things, if you look at, let, let's take a specific example, everybody. If you look at, uh, five years ago, 10 years ago, you were in a relationship with somebody and you, you thought you met the one, mm-hmm. <laughs> you found the one, right? It's like, this is yeah. the one. It's like, Oh my God, you couldn't imagine life without them. And you know how the story goes, you break up and mm. You were upset. You were mad. You were hurt. You were heartbroken. You didn't eat. You were de- whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And now, maybe five years later, seven years later, ten years later, you look back and go, "What the hell was I thinking?" <laughs> yeah. You know, like thank thank God that didn't happen. Thank God. But in the moment, we so wanted it, right? And so mm-hmm. sometimes, what I found, not getting what you thought you wanted is the greatest blessing you can have. And and we should thank God, universe, life, for the prayers that also were not answered, not just the prayers that were answered. And so when things don't go according to plan, often we're looking at things from the ego's perspective. And from that perspective, it's painful.
0: Yeah. The
2: relationship ended. Oh, my God, the dream didn't happen. The show didn't happen. The producer didn't, whatever it was. And from that perspective, it can look a certain way. But the ego, that which we believe ourselves to be, is is very the ego's limited, you know. From the right. e- when we're locked into the ego, we can only see a very small part of reality in this given moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We're unable to see the whole picture and why everything everything is interconnected to the whole picture. And so, when I look back, I thank God that a talk show didn't happen right. because had it happened, I probably wasn't ready yet. Had it happened. I certainly wouldn't have gone to India and Israel and Thailand and you know on these journeys and gone at 21 gone so deep into my spiritual process of inner healing and spiritual awakening that really set the foundation for what I'm yeah. what I've done over the last 20 years and so like now often in retrospect I'm able to look back and see how everything connects to everything in the whole of my life and go oh I see why that needed to not happen I see why that needed to not work out. I see how I needed to have my ego broken down, right, so that I could be more open and humble in life. It's like, totally. Oh, I get, I, I, I get it. I, but, but in the moment we don't get it. In the moment it doesn't make sense. And so I say that in the moment, rather than judge yourself and judge life, just, just like step back, right. And, and rather than make it about I'm a failure, it's just get curious, like. Why, why couldn't this be happening? What? What? Why could this not be happening? Because I think if we're curious, we're open. If we're open, we're available to life, showing you why this needed to not happen. Right. You know, in 2020, I fell madly in love with a woman. I thought this was my wife, or the cosmic signs for the universe. You know how the story goes? It wasn't. Surprise. Universe like, nope, it's not. And I was forced to surrender. It's like, okay, what the hell? This makes no sense. Like, what? Yeah. And... I just didn't understand for a moment it's like but i was so sure and long story short a year a year just over a year later i met the woman that was to be my wife and i'm like well thank god that didn't happen and i understood now why i needed to go through that experience to sort of yeah resolve some karma learn some things be humbled by life so that my heart yeah. could be open to this most most amazing woman that walked into my life that I probably would not have been open to because I was so fixated on how I the woman I thought I needed ra- rather than the woman I thought I wanted rather than the woman my soul needed right and and so we have to stop looking at life one dimensionally you know mm-hmm. it's like like I failed. We say, oh, but I failed. I'm a failure. Like, like I'm, I'm a failure. It's like, are you a failure? According to who? According mm-hmm. to what? According to the ego? According to life and society and Instagram's definition of a failure? But the truth is many of those people on Instagram that are, you know, driving a Lamborghini and, you uh, on the on on a on a beach in the Bahamas, in a bikini, are miserable when you meet them in real life. Exactly. So is that success? And what is success? We have to question and reevaluate what is success and failure because we've been conditioned to think that success is the attainment of a desired outcome.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, but sometimes you attain a desired outcome and when you've attained it, maybe you've had this experience where you realize, well, is this it? Right. You attain the desired outcome only to realize that the thing that you thought you wanted was not what you really wanted. It was just what you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were. The, the, the attainment of the desired outcome. Well, is it successful to stay married in a relationship? We're married. We're a success. But be miserable, be cheating, right. be be not evolving, be holding your truth back. But we're married. So we're successful. What kind mm-hmm. of success is that? You know, to. Be successful in the corporate world and be making money but be compromising your essence but be compromising your be integrity miserable. and yeah. be miserable. Like, Is that success by the ego in the world? But really? And so I think there's the goal line, there's a soul line
0: mm-hmm. at the
2: level of the soul. First, we have to realize that we are souls. Right. We're souls. We incarnate to this human experience. Life is like a school. Life is like a university for our soul's evolution. And when we understand that, we are souls first and foremost then everyone is your teacher. Everything is your lesson. Every, uh, Let's say that life, everything you go through is a kind of curriculum in your life to give you the opportunity to learn, to grow, to evolve, to realize more of who you truly are. And all lessons are repeated until learned. And so for me, there is no failure. You can see that this thing not manifesting as failure or this relationship not working out as failure. Or you can look at it as if I'm a soul, the only failure is not learning the lesson. Right. And so when you when you're going through something, okay, it's hard. I understand. So let's not like suppress the feelings. So just to be fair, let's grieve if you need to grieve. Grieve if you need to scream. Scream if you need to like do something to acknowledge the pain, the hurt, like the anger. Get it out. Feel the feelings. That's the
1: way to get through it. Yeah.
2: Feel the feelings. Express the feelings. Journal it. Meditate it. Ju- you know, take a punching bag. Like, like, <laughs> like, like, get those feelings out. Great. Yeah. But now once you're like kind of done with that, don't wallow there, ask yourself the question, why did I track this experience? What is my soul seeking to learn? What am I have, have I been unwilling to learn? Because if life is a school and I'm a soul and everything is part of my curriculum, then real success is not just whether you attained it or whether you didn't attain it. Real success is the degree to which you learn the lessons that your soul was seeking to learn in the process of the pursuit of that goal. Every goal is evolutionary in nature. Evolutionary Mm -hmm. in that it will take you on a journey of becoming. And every goal will force you to go on a journey of learning, of growth, of evolution, and becoming. And so long as you learn along the way and become more of who you are, then the the attainment of the outcome is really secondary. The process of growth and evolution and learning is what it's really about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you do talk a lot about the ego and the soul. So for someone who maybe isn't as familiar with this concept, Mm -hmm. when and how can we kind of check ourselves when we see or feel the ego coming up? Or how can we even recognize that maybe our ego is telling us something or our ego is taking over a little bit too much? And how can we come back to our soul and be more true to our soul and, and give ourselves grace and be nice to ourselves in the process. So say for example, someone's ego is taking over and they need to come back to themselves without judgment. How do they recognize that? How do they do that in that moment?
2: Yeah. I think that often you realize that the ego is taking over when there is restriction, contraction, you realize that the ego is taking over when you feel like you're kind of forcing something, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's like, I feel anxious. It's like, oh, stress so much. It's it's constantly, okay, there's moments of stress in life. You know, you go to the gym, they're stressed. That's not the ego. But when you're so pushing and trying to force something, it's off an ego. Um, You just don't feel in flow consistently off an ego. And so I would say that, but what I do want to just preface is ego isn't bad. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't even say ego is like the enemy. Ego is, we all have ego. Everybody has ego. You have it. I have it. Dalai Lama has it. You know, if, if we met the Dalai Lama on the street and we say, hey, Dalai, Dalai Lama, he would turn around and say yes. And If he had no ego, he wouldn't be able to say that. He would just stare at the wall. So ego is kind of the the vehicle that our soul uses to navigate in this human experience. Ego is a set of patterns that have been set in place, often in reaction to life and experiences in childhood. The ego is not even a thing. It's really a process. Of mm-hmm. identification, you know, a bicycle is a thing. The pedaling is a process, mm-hmm. and so and so ego is not good or bad. It, what's more important is your relationship with ego. That's mm-hmm. really what's important: your relationship with the ego. And so, um, ego is that sense of self based on belief systems and past experiences, mind, body, name, form. That we that we hold on to and identify as identification is ego. So the degree to which we are identified with ourselves with this mind, this body, these stories, these these labels, mm-hmm. that's ego. And and the more tight that grip is, that's being reinforced mm-hmm. by society, friends, life, parents, you know, those around us. The more we hold on to that, the less free we are, the more limited we will feel within ourselves, mm-hmm. the more rigid we will be, and the more stuck we will be rather than feeling that sense of lightness, of being, and freedom. And so when you understand what ego is, I think it, it can change your relationship with ego. And so when we're, ch- when we're children, we're free. Mm-hmm. We were free. We're not so ego-driven. You know, right. a child is just plays they just why do they laugh because they just felt like it they were in the flow you know they'll jump on the table and sing and dance and shout they don't care if they don't sound like bruno mars or celine Dion. (laughs) they're just being they'll run naked they're like well what do i look like on instagram let me get a filter no they're Mm -hmm. just like here i am my belly's hanging out they're not Mm -hmm. sucking anything in they don't they're just being to me that's the essence of freedom and so we are all these free beings And we incarnate into this human experience and the process of ego starts getting created in that we meet our parents. They're doing the best that they knew how to do based on their childhood and their life. Maybe dad was an alcoholic. Maybe mom was crazy. Maybe they're fighting all the time. Maybe they're just nice people, but they didn't know how to meet our emotional needs in some way. And that was painful to not feel our needs met. And so ego starts getting created when we, We learn all sorts of strategies to shut down, disconnect, not feel, shut down, disconnect, not feel, suppress, 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 and close our hearts. Now that's a form of control. Boom. Now we get locked into a certain pattern to just navigate and deal with the reality and the pain around us, ego. And we learn a way of being. Who do I need to be in order to get love and validation and approval? Oh, I'm I'm funny. Dad loves it. Mm -hmm. Let me be more funny. Uh, I'm get i independent or I'm a nice girl. Then, oh, mom loves it. So I start... We develop a role. We develop a mask. We develop a persona. And the degree to which we now contort ourselves into the shape of becoming who we think we need to be and we hold on to that and we think that's who we are, that's ego. And so that's when we're limited and we don't have the flexibility to flow, the flexibility to meet. And so... Ego is not bad. It's just a creation. And so when we can recognize that, then we don't have to fight the ego or judge the ego because the ego means well. Its job is to protect you and keep you safe. Make sure you don't get hurt again. And reinforce this existence. So if you can understand mm-hmm. that, when you feel the limitation of the ego, rather than like bad ego, bad person, bad me,
0: right.
2: you can just start to realize it's often afraid. It's 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 in reaction. It's
0: like you threatened.
2: know, it feels threatened.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: and so letting go it's it's like, oh if I if I if I open my heart and let this person into my heart, <gasps> I might not have my needs met again i might be abandoned so to help with that because when i did that when i was 5 mom wasn't around and it was too painful to feel someone in my heart so let me close my heart and do some stupid shit and push this person away you know mm-hmm. and so the behavior might end up like destructive but the intention was positive and we were right. just coming from fear so if we can recognize that rather than judging ourselves we can start meeting ourselves like oh let me let me hold ego with loving. Let me hold ego with compassion. Let me hold yeah. ego with tenderness. Let me hold ego with some kindness. And and yeah. when we're able to hold ego with kindness and bring loving to those parts of ourselves that are really afraid, that's when healing happens. And each time we do that, another layer of healing happens.
1: Yeah. I think that's really important that you said that you know, it doesn't have to be negative, right? It's when we can think about it from a positive or this is trying to help us. I think that's huge because we can get so mean to ourselves and beat ourselves up for yeah. doing something wrong or making a mistake. But if we can be like, okay, this was just trying to protect us. yeah, Then we can have more understanding and more compassion for ourselves. And I think that mean makes a huge difference.
2: That, yes. True healing is when we bring loving and compassion, mm-hmm. you know, to those parts of ourselves that are hurting. Right. And often ego is a reaction mm-hmm. to certain things that happened that were painful and so we were hurt. And I'm never mm-hmm. going to be hurt again. So ego ego gets created as a mechanism to prevent from that.
1: Right. Right. And I want to get into something else you talk a lot about which you mentioned earlier which is uh-huh. surrender. <laughs> So you wrote a book called The Magic of Surrender, right? Sure. And I love the meaning and message behind this book and I can tell you from personal experience the times in my life where I've had to truly surrender is when the biggest breakthroughs have happened and it's it's come after a lot of resistance and me holding on too tight. But I think and you talk about this a lot, you say that you know, people associate surrender with giving up. So can you first Tell us, you know, what is that true meaning of surrender, and what's that more positive meaning of surrender? And then I want to get into some specific examples that I think could really help some people. So, what is that? What does that? Yeah, truly just, mean just, just look.
2: I think there's many misconceptions about surrender in our culture yeah. today, um, which is why we are not inspired to surrender. Right. It's like. Surrender is giving up. It's waving the white flag. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's uh, being taken advantage of. It's just being passive, sitting there, doing nothing. If you surrender, you're going to be a doormat. You're going to be a victim. You're going to be left behind. You're not going to manifest your dreams and desires. It's like mm-hmm. you're going to get less in life. Who the hell would want to surrender if that's, if that's what surrender was? And so yeah. for me, I believe that surrender is the most powerful thing that we can do. I feel surrender is the real secret to the next level of manifestation. That surrender is the real password to freedom. If you mm-hmm. look at all of the great ones, whether it's a Gandhi, whether it's a Jesus, whether it's a Buddha, whether it's a Mother Teresa, whether it's a Mandela, whether it's a Muhammad Ali, a Bruce Lee, at some point they all surrendered themselves
0: mm-hmm.
2: to life. At some point they all surrendered themselves to the divine, to the universe, Mm -hmm. to to that deeper impulse of their soul and what their soul was seeking to manifest through them, you know. And Mm -hmm. in that surrender, they transcended their human limitations and they tapped into another dimension of life. And that's when life was able to manifest through them. Life was able to, to express through them in ways that they could not have predicted or imagined with their own limited human mind, and so surrender is a letting go of control,
0: right. or
2: I should say, the illusion that we were really in control in the first place. Right. You know, surrender is a is when we stop trying to force life, right, right. to fit our limited idea. Like,
1: I found a person,
2: and I'm going to make them my soulmate. Have you know? to make
1: it work. you have got
2: to make it work, no matter what. It's like it's not right, but I'm going to like change them, it's like, it's going to be suffering for the rest mm-hmm. of your life, right? And so when you stop trying to force life and manipulate life to fit your limited idea, then you take the limitations off of life, and then you're available, and then you're open. And And so mm-hmm. the old paradigm was really about, what do I want?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, so it's, it, it, let's call it the ego-based model for creating life, which, yeah, you can manifest that way, but when you manifest from the ego, it will always be limited. Mm-hmm. When you manifest from the soul, surrender. It's a different. It's a different question. Then the question becomes, what is it that life is seeking to manifest through me? What is it that that my soul is seeking to express? What is the highest impulse of truth that is seeking to emerge and create and live through me? then you can kind of like feel that vision and then you can align your mind, your ego, your personality with the authentic vision of what's true. Like for me, the magic of surrender book, confession was not the book I wanted to write. Hmm. It was, it was not the book I thought to write. I resisted it because of this exact question you said, you know, like surrender because like like, who the hell wants to surrender? I'm like, we know we should, but there's this resistance because of the ego. I wanted to write a book that would be sexy and, you know, the magical art, the subtle art, the not given, you know, there's all these yeah. you know, sexy titles. I'm, I'm going to write a book like that and it's catchy and publishers want and my audience want. And when I looked at the, I created the entire strategy of a whiteboard. But when I looked at this whiteboard, none of those titles felt right. The only word that felt right was the word surrender. And I had to surrender to the book that was seeking to be written, not just the book I wanted to write. And when I surrendered to it, that's when everything flowed. That's when the magic flowed. That's when the inspiration came. That's when the agent, everything started coming into place in that Mm -hmm. moment. you know. And so when you surrender, you may not always get what you set out to or what you Mm -hmm. thought, but if you surrender – What if you got more? What if it was better than you thought? Because when you surrender, the guidance that you're given arises from the deeper dimension than your mind. And so the guidance you're given will not fit into your current mind's paradigm. It's not meant to because it's unconditioned. Right. And, and, and You just have and, to be
1: open to it, right?
2: Exactly. You have to be open. And so when you catch the vision, yes, you go 100%. You, mm-hmm. you give 100%. So sometimes people think we just sit there and do nothing. No, when you get the authentic vision, yeah. that's when you, you 100%. It might mean you work harder than you've ever worked in your life. Gandhi was not a lazy person. Mother Teresa right. didn't sit around and eat, you know, Cheerios. You know, uh, uh, Mandela didn't, I mean, they, they worked hard. Some of Ma- Martin Luther King, nonstop for a vision, but it was an alignment. So the key is then you, you give 100% without attachment, without attachment to yes. the outcome. Yes. That That's the key. That's the secret.
1: Yes. It's so, I'm so glad that we're talking about this. I have given similar advice to friends. Specifically with dating Ah, around, you know, they're trying to make a a relationship work or they really like someone, but they're not getting back what they're giving. And I've said you kind Ah. of have to detach yourself from that outcome because that's when the real magic is going to happen. And sometimes you'll meet a partner when you don't even expect it. And you have to be open to that. And my friends have said, oh, you should have a podcast on uh, dating. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't think I'm qualified for that. But it's. Um, I'm glad that we're talking about this because I feel like you giving this information mm-hmm. will be really, really helpful to people. I mean, mm-hmm. for all scenarios. But
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, it's, it's very potent. Mm. Great. And you also said something at the beginning of your book that I loved where you said striving creates struggle, which I think is really important when you really think about it. Like repeat that back. Yeah. Striving creates struggle. That is – it's so true. And I think a lot of us, especially in our culture and our hustle culture, right, we we strive for something. We, we push for something a little bit too hard, and it's yeah. not working.
2: It's not it's not working. It's making us right. sick. It's making us miserable. Okay, I'm gonna give an example. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
2: I, I, I'm gonna give an example, especially for folks that might be like, okay, you guys are talking woo woo shit about surrender. So like, what is this <laughs> surrender? Surrender, surrender, what have you? No, yeah, yeah. we got we got to hustle. We have got to grind. We got okay, cool. But here's the thing. I'm gonna prove that all of us really want it. We want surrender in our lives. and We have all experienced Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Putin, Donald Trump, Biden, right? Uh, uh, Jeff Bezos, you name Mm -hmm. it. Everybody is seeking surrender. Here's the deal, folks. If you imagine your most blissful sexual experience, Just imagine. It doesn't have to be the most blissful. It could just be a blissful one. A blissful sexual... Like, really go there, folks. Just a blissful sexual encounter. You and your lover. You and your partner. You know, just just passion, kissing, exchanging. Just It was ecstatic. You loved it. You wanted more of it. It was blissful. I mean, we all kind of love that blissful exchange with, with those blissful moments. To the point where some people even get addicted to the sexual encounter. Why? Why is it why is it so blissful? You don't have to be spiritual, you don't have to meditate, you don't have to be a yogi. Why is it so spiritual? The reason is. Did you and I, folks, did you come to the sex, did, did you come to the bedroom with your lover and go, okay, with it? You had like a, a 17, a seven hundred page b- plan. business plan. Yeah. Okay, okay, honey, today You're I have a plan. We're going to make love for exactly 80, 42 minutes today. And minute one, first thing, you're going to lie on the bed at exactly 90 degrees and you're going to kiss me 18 times on the cheek. After that, you're going to take your shirt off. Then we're, right. it's like, that would be freaking torture. So, so so, why the sexual encounter is so blissful and ecstatic is precisely because we surrendered, mm-hmm. We let go of control we yeah we we didn't know really like have it all planned out we didn't know what was going to happen every time we didn't know what we were going to do and what our partner was going to do we kind of let go and the energy was creating if you look at the best ones maybe the worst ones were like trying to control and they were just but the best ones <laughs> is like you just let go
1: flow and flow yeah and if
2: we can make love that way why not live that way right and I promise you, if you live that way, it will be equally ecstatic in its own way.
1: Yeah. So before we get into some rapid fire questions, and for sure. the people that are listening to this and and have heard your example, and they're like, listen, you know, like you said <laughs> earlier, this is woo-woo, say someone, for example they have kids, they have a partner, yeah. they they have a job, okay? And and they want to fully surrender. They want to go after their life's okay. passion, but they have to keep a job with insurance and paying in paying the bills for their family. How can that type of person you know, keep that job, keep that stability, but continue yeah, you, not you, deny you, themselves and You are
2: you, you are I would say you are misunderstanding what surrender is. Yeah. People think surrender is just oh go with the flow. So that means I what? I I feel like snorting cocaine, so I'm just gonna just snort cocaine. No. I feel like just like not exercising this morning, so I'm just not gonna exercise. Why? Because I'm surrendering. No. Right. I'm I'm gonna like eat four tubs of Haagen-Dazs. Why? Because it's just what I feel like. No, sometimes surrender. See, surrender is a deeper commitment to the deeper calling of your soul. Mm-hmm not to your mood or fleeting mood in the moment right so right. it might sometimes feel like you do some of the things that you don't feel like or you're not in the mood which might look like responsibility so right. if you have a child you have two children it's like, I feel like surrendering so hey two-year-old kid you just take care of yourself I'm gonna abandon you I'm gonna just go yeah, I'm going to on much, a trip this I'm weekend. going to Machu Picchu for the next two years like yes. I'm surrendering no it might mean you know I have to surrender to responsibility. I have to, like, for some of us guys, like, we got to grow up now. Right, and acceptance. I I, I have to accept that I have a child, and this is a Mm -hmm. part of my path, and part of that path is responsibility, and I have to grow up now and expand myself to take care of my wife, my kids, my family, and figure out a way to pursue my dream and vision at the same time, and what does that look like. But part of the surrender is to the responsibilities, like, Yes, yeah, a responsibility, and you could be like, right. "But I don't want resp- to." Sometimes surrender means you got to grow up mm-hmm. and stop being a kid and stop being immature. Sometimes surrender means you have to wake yourself up in a, it, you know at four a.m. and uh, uh, go for a run, yeah, because you know that you have kids, and so you can make yep. the so. So surrender doesn't mean just "Well, I do whatever I want." It means you follow the deeper calling of your soul, and so yeah. yes, look, it doesn't mean. Uh, abandon your family and just... No, that's not what it means. It means accept you have a family, accept you have responsibility, accept you have insurance, handle those responsibilities, but meanwhile, surrender to that. Don't resist it because if you're like, well, I shouldn't, I don't want this, then you're going to express everything as a burden. You're going to block your flow. Then you won't be resourceful and creative and you're going to be resentful and that doesn't serve anybody. Simultaneously, accept it, surrender to it, embrace it, celebrate it. It's a privilege to have a child and a wife and a kid then you know, live this life and surrender to the fact that, you know what, I feel called to write this book. I feel called to create this thing. So how can I now get creative to spend the two hours a day or the one hour a day or the extra time on the weekend? Many of us, when we really accept uh, what is, we realize, shit, I'm wasting four hours a week on Instagram. I'm hanging yeah. out with my friends in the in the in, in the in the bar. I'm hanging out with Johnny watching NFL football. It might mean yeah. it might mean no more football on Sundays, bro. It might mean no more, <laughs> you know, no more wasting time with the with the with, with the guys playing basketball, but making the sacrifice for a higher calling, which is I'm gonna spend those four hours now, yeah. working on my book. And so there's always a way. It might be waking up a bit earlier. It might mean going to sleep a bit later. That is the deeper surrender, and it doesn't have to be perfect, but it does mean. Many times people say to me, "But I'm so all of these things," and I ask them, "How much time today did you spend on your vision? Uh, none. How much time today did you spend following it? none?" And sometimes, if you just do thirty minutes today. And 30 minutes tomorrow. You gotta start somewhere. 30 minutes today, 30 minutes tomorrow, 30 minutes the next day, 30 minutes the next day. All of a sudden, in a week, you've done was it three hours, four hours, you know, whatever it is. It may not be like 20 hours, but sometimes when we have 20 hours, we don't do anything productive. But knowing you only have a little to me, life is not a race, it is a it's a marathon. And and sometimes the small steps that we take along the way compound so
1: yeah absolutely
2: embrace your life embrace your path and trust that the path that you have is the path that you're meant to have and do what you can with where you're at to me that's part of surrender
1: i'm so glad that i asked that question because i knew that there was going to be people out there wondering and kind of just saying well i have this life i'm not fully happy with it how do i get but you also
2: you also look the lady you also have a choice who chose to mm -hmm. get that car Who? who, Buddha didn't make you, guide you like Jesus didn't. The devil, the devil made, no. Free will. You chose to get that car with that mortgage payment. So there's choices. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, but who chose? And and so we have to realize, whoa, I might have to change some of my priorities. I might have to stop hanging. I might have to stop hanging out with, I might have to not buy the, I might have to not, have that so that I can focus for a moment on what's really important you know Mm -hmm. and so on some level we have a choice and we have to own that choice and the moment we give that away it's like I don't have a choice It's, it's like no we have choices and there's consequences to the choice and we have to be willing to say okay what's what's really important to me in life and follow that direction yeah
1: yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, we talk about therapy a lot on this podcast cool. and my, ther- my therapist would call that radical acceptance, right? Yes. Fully accepting what you have going on in your life and not falling victim to those circumstances. So I'm really glad I asked that because uh, I know there's people out there wondering it, right? But yes. I think it's, it's, <laughs> it's what people need to hear. So I want to get into some rapid fire questions. Cool. My first question for you under rapid fire is What are some of your favorite wellness practices?
2: Simple. Meditation, um, exercise, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: gratitude, Mm -hmm. being in nature.
1: Yeah. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that.
2: Life is not complicated.
1: Okay. The second question is who are some of your biggest inspirations in life?
2: I would say my mother, my wife, my Mm -hmm. son,
1: Mm -hmm. you know. I think that's, you know, what's most important in life, right? Yeah. That at the end of the day, what do you have if not for your family? I mean, I could say Bruce
2: that? Lee and my, maybe, right. but I never met them. I mean, I guess some of their, their, their philosophies inspire me, but in terms of in real life, yeah, my mother, yeah. my wife, my son.
1: Yeah, I think that's great. Okay, the last rapid-fire question is how would someone describe you if your life was a movie and you were the main character,
2: I don't know. I have, I have, I have no idea. To be honest, I have no idea. You um, know, I, I was gonna say, and I don't care. I don't know if I yeah. don't care, but I don't care. But I don't know if I don't care. You know, but and here's why: because how somebody would describe me, and this may not be the answer you're looking for, but it's the answer that's there. How yeah. somebody would describe me would actually kind of reveal more about them than it does about me,
0: mm-hmm.
2: because how people would perceive me is based on their own conditioning and their own consciousness yeah. and their own ego perspective. And I've had days where, in the same room, someone's like, "He's so sweet and kind and nice and you know gentle." Moments <laughs> another person, "He's so intense and and and, yeah. and and intimidating," and and it's like, "What's true?" Yeah. Same moment, same talk, same everything, what's true? I don't know. And so how somebody describes me is how they described me a long time ago, I had to learn in a certain way that if I want to be free to just share my gift authentically with integrity, with the world, mm-hmm. to unplug myself from people's negative opinions. Yeah. But also to unplug myself from people's positive opinions.
1: And yes. when we
2: do that, then we can, I think, more stay true to the truth that is in our heart and souls yes and so maybe if anyone were to describe me they would say he was true to his soul and he was true to God's will yeah that's maybe what I would say
1: I think that's great and I think that's a great reminder for people and this question is interesting because it, it brings up a lot of different responses and sometimes it's People say what they love about themselves, and I find that really cool because we spend a lot of time being mean to ourselves, you know, and we spend a lot of time thinking way too much about people's opinions. So I'm glad that you had that answer. Honestly, I love yeah. the type of answers that I get from this question. So, yeah. is there anything I I didn't ask you that you want to share before you tell everyone where they can find you? No. What else would you like? I think, to bring I think to we covered
2: po- a lot, and I've I've thoroughly enjoyed your questions in this interview. Great. It's been beautiful.
1: Well, thank you. Okay, so. Shout yourself out. Please tell everyone where they can find more of you and what's coming up for you.
2: Sure. I would say, first thing, folks, just just go and check out the book I wrote, The Magic of Surrender.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I think it's a special book. I wrote it from my yeah. heart. And if you uh, go to Amazon, get the paper back, enjoy it. There's a lot of gems in there. I wrote it in a very simple way to just yes. make it very easy to read. So that that's one thing. Um and uh, yeah, I hope that this is the beginning of our path. If you're listening, there may be a beginning of our connection. And so if you're someone that maybe you've been inspired by the interview today, you feel a calling in your life to make a difference. You feel perhaps a deep desire and a readiness to transform and heal and go to that next level. Um, I created a process. I created a, an event, an experience. Uh, I've done this for the last 11 years. It's Mm -hmm. one of the most life-changing things I've done that I know. Um, It's a 12-day immersive experiential seminar without Mm -hmm. walls that I do in Bali. It's called Boundless Bliss, the Bali Breakthrough Experience. And uh, if you you feel it, if you feel ready to share your gifts with the world and heal and transform, you can find out more, www.boundlessblissbali.com. That's boundlessblissbali.com. You can find out all the information there. The next event is December the 5th through the 16th. And Perfect. this will be the last event in Bali that I do. Uh, I've done 21. This will be number 22. Wow. And so uh, it's the end of an era. And so if you yeah. feel it, this is your moment. You can go to the website yeah. and apply. Also, Instagram, Coot Blackson, just my name. And then my podcast, Soul Talk.
1: Perfect. I know. I was going to say, don't forget the podcast. They can hear more uh-huh. from you. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. If you are loving the podcast, please, please leave a rating and review and tell others what you're loving about the show. It really helps grow the podcast and helps me create more content for you. If you have suggestions for the pod or questions you'd like me to answer, you can always email staroftheshowpod at gmail.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next Wednesday.